Let me just take a second. Y'all ever had one of those days where it just seems like if something could go wrong or just be off, it is? <clears throat> I'm having one of those days for whatever reason. So before we get started, here's what I want us to do. I want us just to take a second and pray. I need to pray for myself. I need to pray for focus. I'm dropping stuff up here. My throat hurts. Kids are sick. It's just one of those, one of those days. So uh, before we start, just... In my weakness, I need uh, to pray. Like the song says, I need his strength when I recognize my weakness. So uh, let's just take a second, pray, and then we'll jump into the, the text this morning. Father God, we come before you now. And I'll be the first to confess, God, that, that you don't need me, God. You don't need uh, any of us, God. You can do whatever and use whoever you want uh, to accomplish your plans. And so, Father God, I pray that this morning uh, you would receive the glory, Father God, I might feel off, but God, you're still God, and you're still good, and we pray that you would work, we pray that you would move, and God, we pray that you would receive all the glory this morning. We love you, we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Okay, now, before we really get into the passage this morning, before we really get into the text, we need to take a stop and, and talk about the Bible for a second, and here's why. There are these things as you read your Bible called textual variants. And so the only reason I'm talking about this morning is because in Mark chapter 7 verse 16, there's one. Some of your Bibles, if you're reading through, you're going to hit verse 15, then it's going to skip verse 16, and then go straight to verse 17. So if you see that, you're like, why is that going on? Here's why that happens. For most works of antiquity, that just means really, really, really old literary works, we do not have the original copies. So when you see uh, the Iliad, which you had to read, or the Odyssey, which you probably had to read in high school, when you see all these old Greek historians, uh, we don't have any of the original copies uh, that, that Homer and those other people wrote. Same goes with scriptures. We don't have any of the actual letters that Paul wrote or that, uh, that Peter wrote or that the, the Gospels that John wrote. And so what we have are copies. We have copies that they made, uh, that they sent on to other people. We have uh, copies that were written in sermons at the time. We have copies that were translated into other languages back during that time. But we don't have the original. Now let me just say, that's not a, a problem. That's nothing to worry about. That's nothing to be scared of. Because what we do have, they're called variants. Or we have different documents or different copies of the text. Now... For Homer and the Iliad and the Odyssey and all these old histories, for majority of them, there's about 5 to 10 to 20 copies of their original text. For the Greek New Testament, we've got over 5,600 copies of the New Testament. And then if you take stuff that were taken from sermons and stuff that was translated, we have over 25,000 um, reference points or copies of the New Testament. So we can validate that what was written by Paul is what we've actually got. A textual variant is when there is a difference between the multiple copies of the Greek text. So if you're reading your Bible, there's, if, if it doesn't have verse 16, there's going to be a little footnote that says something like, the oldest, the oldest manuscripts do not contain this, or some manuscripts add. This means that when the people who, I use the ESV, so when the group of people who, who came together to study all these Greek texts, to, to write the ESV or to translate the ESV version of the Bible, they said, you know what? 
These are some of the oldest texts that we have. And the oldest ones that we have are just less than 100 years after Peter and Paul and all these guys lived. So they're very, very trustworthy. Some of these oldest texts that we have don't have this verse, but some of the later texts that we do have. So we're just going to go with the older ones, and we're not going to include this text. We'll make a reference point for it. We'll show you where it's at. We'll tell you that other, uh, other versions include this. But because the oldest do not... We're not going to stick it necessarily in the text. We'll put it as a footnote. Now let me explain how this happens and why this is important to understand. When Paul wrote his letter, let's say to the Galatians, he wrote it to uh, this area in Galatia to multiple churches. So what they would do is they would begin to share the letter. And then so they could have a copy, each church would begin to write down the copy of Paul's letter. And then Paul's letter or the copies would be sent to another region. Let's say... Uh, Colossi, where the book of Colossians was written to. And they would copy down uh, Galatians, and they would copy down Colossians, and they would send it on to someone else. So they were, were building a, a, a reference point for what the apostles were saying. They were basically building the Bible is what they were doing. So what happens is over time, these copies began to spread, and more and more people began to copy them. The problem is, one... Greek does not use punctuation and there are no capital letters. So everything just kind of, it works. They've got a language. It's a very valid language. But there's no punctuation. So sometimes things might get jumbled. Another thing is when they were translating or when they were copying these down, they were doing so by candlelight by themselves in these lonely spots. And so every once in a while, something might have gotten mixed up here or there. Now, let me tell you why this isn't a problem. One, we've got over 25,000 reference points, so we can go back and know for sure what was being said. And this is why it's important that we've got so many copies. Let's say I wrote a sentence on a piece of paper, and it said, the dog is brown. Let's say I gave it to Chris, and Chris had a piece of paper. He copied it, and he passed it to Jenna. She copied it, and she passed it. And we passed it all around the church so that everyone had copied this original uh, sentence that I had written. And let's say we gathered them all up. If I threw away my original copy, when we gathered everybody's up, we would be able to tell what the original sentence was. Now, there might be some spelling errors here or there, but because we have so many copies, we've got over 100 copies in this room, we know what was really said. Someone might have decided to pull a joke, or someone might have decided to try to mess everything up, so they wrote, the dog is blue. But when we've got 99 copies that say the dog is green, or the dog is brown, and one copy that says the dog is blue... Well, then we know that that copy is probably wrong. Someone messed up somewhere along the line. Now, let me just say this. Do textual variants impact how we view the Bible? No, absolutely not. And here's why. One, we know what they are. This is not some big secret that's been kept from you uh, until this moment. Your Bible has these listed. They have these marked. They have these, these, verses, these verses and these passages marked telling you that that these are variations, that there are some versions that don't include this and some that do. Secondly, textual variants are the result of massive amounts of copies of the text that we do have. The reason why we have these is because we have over 25,000 copies of portions or of the whole New Testament. Because of that, there's going to be some variations. Now, if I only had two people write my sentence, there might not be any variations. Or if there was, then we'd have a whole lot harder time figuring out what the original text or what the original sentence was. The fact that we've got so many, we've got 
it's probably about 12 to 15 times more than any other work of history when it comes to the original languages, when it comes to the original copies. That's a great reference to have. That is a, a huge, massive amount of evidence to have to know that we've got what we've got. Next, less than 1% of the textual variants impact the text in a meaningful way, and none of them affect any core doctrine. Now, verse 16 in Mark, you're saying, well, why is not there? What verse 16 in Mark says of chapter 7 says, if anyone has, has an ear or ears to hear, let him hear. So, the guys that translated the, the ESV, they said, you know what? That's not in the oldest text, so we're not going to include it. It's a variation. It's less than 1% of the entire New Testament. And honestly, if that verse is there or not, it does not affect anything. It does not impact any truth. It does not impact what the Bible says. It does not impact what we believe about Jesus or the gospel. It does not. Now, there are um, two off the top of my head large chunks. And this is another reason why we're talking about this. Because one of these is at the very end of Mark. The very end of Mark, when you get to the last chapter, you're going to see a large section, about 10 to 15 verses, that says the older manuscripts do not include this text. But it's not a text that impacts what we believe about Jesus. It's not a text that impacts what we believe about salvation or about who God is. And so it's not a text that impacts what we believe. So, I wanted to, well, and then finally, these variations do not affect biblical authority, inspiration, or inerrancy. What these do, honestly, with all the evidence that we have, more than anything else in history, it tells us that we can be sure that with all of these variations, or not variations, with all of these copies of the text, we have all the evidence that we need to know that if this is what we have for Mark, then that is what Mark wrote. Because there is enough evidence backing it up, proving it, and validating. So I wanted to take a second to say that because I didn't want to be reading and then halfway through see someone be thinking, oh wait, my Bible doesn't have this or why didn't he say this because my Bible has it right here. I want us to understand that the Bible can be trusted and I want us to understand what's going on in the Bible. So with that being said, let's get to Mark chapter 7. And if you have any more questions, come and talk to me after church. Email me, call me, text me. Uh, and I'll be happy to answer any questions that anybody might have. All right, so Mark chapter 7, verses 14 through 23. That's where we are this morning. Now, remember last week we looked at the passage and Jesus' disciples were being chastised. They were being, uh, basically the Pharisees were getting on to them because they did not wash their hands before they eat. This was not a, hey, your hands are dirty, wash your hands so you don't get sick kind of thing. This was, they were taking a commandment that God had given to the, or to the priest. They had expanded it to everybody. They had taken the traditions of man and lifted them up to the same level of Scripture. And so Jesus had told them, look, you can't do that. We don't take preferences. We don't take uh, expectations of men. We don't take the teachings of men and raise it up to the level of Scripture. Scripture is preeminent. Scripture is first. Everything else falls underneath that. If someone's teaching you something and it does not line up with the Bible, the Bible trumps whatever anybody else says. The Bible is superior over what anybody else says. And so this week he continues to talk, a lot, kind of fall in the same context, and he's really continuing to talk to the Pharisees. He lays out a truth and then he explains it to his disciples what he means exactly, but it deals with sin. 
It deals with what makes us sinful. When we mess up, when we fall short, where does the fault lie? Because in this area and in this time, especially with the Pharisees, they had a a poor view of sin. When they looked at their sin or someone else's sin, they only looked at the outside. They only looked at sin as what you did on the outside. So that's one reason why they thought that they could stop themselves from sinning and be good enough to earn God's favor. It's because them, sin was only external. Sin was only stuff that you did. Or what he's going to talk about today is stuff that you ate. And so Jesus is really making the point, wanting them to see that sin is not just on the outside, that you can't fix your sin problem by changing what's on the outside. You have to fix your sin problem by dealing with what's on the inside. It's what's on the inside that defiles us. It's what's on the inside that makes us sinful. And look, this is not a problem that only existed there this is a problem that we still, with, still deal with on some levels today. Our society at different points has said, you know what? If you got rid of bad music and bad movies and drugs, then people wouldn't make mistakes anymore. and People wouldn't sin. That's just not true. In fact, in New York, in order to basically curb gluttony, they tried to outlaw any sodas over 16 ounces because they thought, surely if we take this away from people, people won't overeat anymore. People won't drink a bunch of sugary drinks, and therefore people won't be overweight. Well, that's just taking the outside and trying to change it without dealing with the heart. And so what we need to do when we deal with sinfulness, we have to look past the outside and we have to look towards the heart. That's what Jesus is doing this morning. So let me pray for us. Uh, Well, let's read the passage. Let's pray again, and then we will go back through. So Mark chapter 7, verses 14 through 23. And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. Verse 17. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. Verse 20, and he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual morality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All those evil things come from within and they defile a person. Let's pray. Father, we come before you now. Thank you for this time that you've given us, God. We thank you for your word. We thank you that it is living and active. We thank you that it is trustworthy. Uh, Father God, I just pray now as we look at your word, as we study your word, that you would speak through your word, through the Holy Spirit, to our hearts, to the core of who we are. And God, that you would draw us closer to yourself. Help us understand your love and your grace and our need for you. It's in Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. All right, so the first thing that we see right here is we have to have a right understanding about sin. Now it says in verse 14, And he called the people to himself again, and he said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of him are what defile a person. Now what Jesus is saying here, remember, he has just talked about washing of the hands. That was kind of the context that is kind of setting this up. It's the the context in which Jesus is addressing the people. 
And so as he's saying this to them, he's like, look, it's not whether you wash your hands or not. It's not whether you eat something or not that defiles you. You see, God had given the Israelites a dietary uh, law. Don't eat this. Do eat this. Now, if you read through Leviticus where the law was given, one of the reasons God gave them the law was to set them apart from people around them, to look different, to live different, to act different, because their God was the one true God. So they were to be holy. They were to be set apart. So God said, look, here's how I want you to eat, because I want you to be different from the people around you. Because the people around them would eat whatever. They would offer stuff to idols. They would offer stuff to false gods, and they would... Just completely different cultures. So God says, I'm setting you up a culture that is different from everyone else around you. Now, as God told them not to eat things, and he said, this is stuff that is unclean that you should not eat. The idea there is Jesus was not saying that, look, eating beef is a sin. The, the cow itself is sinful. That's not what he was saying. He was setting a law up. He was setting a rule up. And he was saying it is sinful if you're doing this, not because cows are evil, but because you are breaking my rule. Or let's say pigs. Pigs are unclean. I'm not sure about... I think cows were okay. But pigs are unclean. So pigs themselves are not inherently evil. Pigs are not the devil. But eating a, a pork would have been sinful because they were breaking God's rule. Not because the pork was bad, but because God had said, don't do that. And so therefore, if they did that, they would be breaking God's standard. They were breaking God's commandment. So they would be going against what God has said is right and good and pure. And so as God told them, don't eat stuff, what they eventually did was saying, okay, this food is evil. God has said, don't do it. So instead of looking at the heart of obedience, they just said, uh, pork is evil. They said, mixing um, cheese and beef. I know that's wrong. That's evil evil. Shellfish is evil. You can't do that stuff. You can't eat that stuff. And so therefore, that stuff is bad, but they missed out on the heart of what God was doing. They missed out on the heart of what God was saying. And that is why here in this passage, and even in Acts, when, when Peter has his vision uh, of, the, of, the, of the sheet with all the animals, and God saying, go and eat, that basically they can eat anything now, because God saying that stuff was never evil, it was never wrong uh, in itself. It's just that I had commanded you not to do that. So they missed out on the heart of what God was trying to teach them about why he gave them that standard. So Jesus is saying it's not the things that you take into you. It's not that piece of meat. It's not dirty hands that defile you. It's what comes out of you. It's not that piece of meat that makes you a sinner. It's not eating with dirty hands that makes you a sinner. That's not where sin comes from. Sin comes from the heart. Sin comes from what is already inside of us. And so they were so focused on the outside. They were so focused on the external that they completely missed the point of what God was trying to teach them. When the Israelites had originally been given the law back in Leviticus, God was bringing them into the promised land, and God knew they were going to be surrounded by people who did not know God, who did not love God, who did not worship God, and who worshiped these false gods with a little g, these gods that don't exist. And they worshiped these things, and they were, they were vile, they were sexual immoral, they were, they were arrogant, they were prideful, they were uh, violent. All this stuff was wrapped up in their worship. And God says, look, I want you to live and be different because I want you to show them a great way and I don't want you to live like them because how they are living is sinful and is wrong and it is bad. The people misread God. They misinterpreted. They missed the point. And instead of giving their hearts to God and following Him and saying, okay, God, I'm going to obey you because this is what you've commanded, commanded me to do. They've said, let's make 
We're basically going to kind of set up an idol out of the law. That if you want to get close to God, then you've got to do this stuff instead of focusing on Him. So they completely missed the point. They did not have a right understanding of sin. Everything they looked at was external. and They never dealt with the heart. And what we're going to see as Jesus goes forward, He's going to say, Look, sin comes not from the outside, but it comes from who we are. It comes from the core of who we are. Look, when Adam sinned, that first sin, and he acted as a representative for mankind, that sin passed down to all of us, and we are all born broken. We are all born with a sin nature. We are all born with a natural bent towards unrighteousness, towards rebellion against God. And God is saying through there, and what Jesus is saying is, look, when we deal with sin, we don't just deal what's on the outside, but we've got to look at ourselves on the inside. That's what we've got to wrestle with. That's what we have to deal with. That's what we have to confess and, 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 and go to God and say, I need help with. I'm weak and I need your strength. So we have to have a right understanding about sin. Next, we also see that we have to guard our hearts against the things that tempt us. Verses 17 through 19. It says, And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart but his stomach and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. So, there's two things that Jesus says here. There's really a main point that he makes, and then there's kind of a sub-point that kind of leads into the next section. But Jesus says, look, what you put in your body, and what he's talking about here specifically is food. That's the specific context. What you put into your body does not defile you. It comes in, it goes out. It does not go into your heart. It does not impact your heart. When Jesus talks about the heart, when the New Testament talks about the heart, it's talking about the heart as the center of who we are. The, the heart contains the emotions, the will, our mind. It, it's, it's, it makes up, when they talk about the heart, they're talking about this is the core of who you are. And so when he says that the food that you take goes into your, your stomach, not your heart, he's not talking about necessarily physical. He's saying it's food. It does not impact your heart. It does not impact where your affections lie. It does not impact uh, anything. It goes in your stomach and it goes out. It, that's all that it does is it gives you nourishment. It does not defile you. It does not make you sinful. It does not make you a sinner because you ate with clean hands or dirty hands or because you ate with this food because ultimately God has commanded it clean. What causes us to be sinners are the things that impact our, or well, what impacts us, the things that we take in are the things that impact our heart. So I was trying to think of, of what, what, how do we kind of apply this to ourselves? And look, there was a time when churches where if you did not wear a suit and a tie as a man, then, then there were problems with you. People looked down on you. Now, I've not seen this in this church, and I think that the church has moved away of that a lot. But, but there was a time that if you did not dress the certain way, then you were looked at as someone who did not understand things, or someone who was a sinner, or someone who was doing bad things. Same thing if you got tattoos, or if you had a weird haircut, or weird colored hair, or if you had piercings. People looked at you and said, that's bad, that's evil, that's wrong. That falls into the body stuff. If I got uh, ten uh, earrings in my ear and five on my eyebrow... That does not affect whether God loves me or not. 
It does not affect my righteousness. It does not affect me as someone who loves God or follows God. It's not. It's a preference. Some people like that. Some people don't. If I had a sleeve of tattoos up my arm, that does not impact whether I love God or God loves me. That's something that's done to the body. It does not impact the heart at all. If I came in here with lime green hair, with what hair that I've got, I, I accidentally put on the wrong uh, guard on my hair. It's not supposed to be this short. But if I came in here with lime green hair, guess what? It does not matter. Now, you might not prefer a pastor with lime green hair. And honestly, if I had lime green hair, it's because somebody did it to me, not something I would do to myself. But that doesn't matter. That does not impact our relationship to God at all. It's just the physical. It does not impact the heart. But what he says here, that's the main point, is the physical. That's just the physical. But he says there are things that, from the outside that can impact our heart. And this is what I want to talk about for a second here. There are things all around us whose goal is to tempt our hearts, to pull our affections away from Jesus. And even though we are Christians, and even though we have... Uh, the Holy Spirit living within us, we still have to daily wrestle with that old man, wrestle with our flesh, wrestle with that part that desires sinfulness, that desires lust, that desires pride, that desires greed. We've got to wrestle with all of this stuff. And so when we live in this world, there are things in our world, there are things in our culture whose goal is to pull us away from Jesus. Those are the things that impact our heart. It's not what we eat. It's not what we drink. It's not whether you've got piercings or tattoos, your hair color or what you're wearing. But there are things that try to influence our heart. They don't make us sin. They don't cause us to sin. But they do try to impact us and pull us away from Jesus. And here's the thing. We're all tempted by different things. What tempts you might not tempt me. I'm not tempted by alcohol. I've never uh, drank anything. I've tried one sip of uh, whiskey one time, and it was the worst tasting thing in my, in my life. I sped it out because it, it, tasted, it tasted as bad as it smells, and it smells pretty bad if you've never been around it. But it's gross. I have no desire to do that. I've got a buddy that when he was in college, he was basically an alcoholic. And so for him, even to be around um, the, the smell of alcohol can be a temptation to him to draw him back into that. It, it wants to draw his affections. It wants to draw him back into this sinful lifestyle. And so for him, he can't even be anywhere where even the smell of it is because of the temptation. He's tempted by something different than I am. But we are all tempted to sin in some way or another. We have to be aware of the things that tempt us to sin. We have to be aware of the places that we are weak. We have to be aware of the places where we need strength because we have to be aware because if we live our lives without being wise about our own selves, being wise about where we're strong and where we're weak, being wise about what's going to tempt us, then we're going to fall a lot more often than if we were going through life being prepared, or if we were going through life being understanding, or we were going through life being honest about our sin and honest about our struggles. One of the core problems of the Pharisees is they did not want to admit that they had sin. They did not want to admit that they had problems. They did not want to admit that they were tempted by things. They wanted to be seen as perfect. And what Jesus is saying here is you're not perfect. I'm not perfect. We're not perfect. We need something else. We are defiled. We are sinful. We are dirty. Not because of what we put into our body, but because of what is already there and what comes out. So what we see finally is that we have to accept that we are the source of our sin. Verses 20 through 23. 
And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual morality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they are what defile a person. Jeremiah 17.9 tells us that the heart is deceitful above all else and desperately wicked. You and I are sinners. When we sin, it's because there's a part of us that longs for sin. There's a part of us that desires sin. There's a part of us that, that longs to do the things that God has said, this is bad. Don't do it. So we have to be... We have to admit, we have to recognize that when we sin, it's not the devil that made us do it. It's not my friend or my girlfriend or my boyfriend or this guy at work or this person, they made me do it. I sin because I sinned. I sin because I chose to do that. I sin because out of my heart came whatever sin it is that's pouring out. If my kids... I'll tell you this. My kids talk all the time, nonstop. The only time they don't talk is when they're asleep. That's not a joke. And so if I am frustrated and and Abigail and Amelia are asking me a million and one questions and I end up just blowing up on them and yelling in anger and frustration, guess what? It's not their fault. It's my fault. That anger came out of my heart. They didn't put it there. They didn't make me do that. If I resulted in that or if that came out of me, I don't get to blame them. I don't get to to pass the buck. I have to own up and say, you know what? That came out of my heart. I need to confess that to God. I need to apologize to my children. Sin comes from within. Other people don't make me sin. Other things don't make me sin. I sin when I choose to sin. Now, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Bible tells us that you are a slave to sin, which means sin is your master and sin is what controls you. But if you are a Christian, then you have been set free from the burden and the bondage of sin. And so when we sin, it's not because someone else made us sin, it's because we chose to sin. We chose to do whatever it is that we did, whether it's anger, whether it's frustration, if it's pride, if it's lust, if it's greed, if it's selfishness and self-centeredness. No one else made me do that. I chose to do that myself. Jesus is laying this out there because He wants the disciples to understand, and He gave that truth initially because He wants the people to understand that, look, sin is not about what food that you're eating. It's not about what your hair looks like or the clothes that you're wearing. Sin doesn't come from the outside. Sin comes from what's already in your heart. And yes, you might be put in situations where you're tempted to respond a certain way or act a certain way or do a certain thing, but those things do not make you sin. You sin, we sin, I sin because what is inside of me that I'm not fighting against? What is inside of me that I've not submitted to God's authority? What is inside of me that that just uh, I'm wrestling with? I let come out. I let show itself. I sin because I choose to sin. The Pharisees looked at sin as solely as the outside so that they could kind of control it. They could control themselves and they could say, hey, we're really good people. Jesus wants the disciples to understand. He wants us to understand that, look, you are a sinner. There is none good, no, not one. All have fallen short of the glory of God. We have all broken God's standard. We have all broken God's rule. We have all sinned. 
And not only have we all sinned, but that sin exists, exists in our core, and we struggle with it day in, day out. And we have to be aware that we are defiled, not because of what's on the outside, but because of what's on the inside. We are guilty, not because of the external, but because of the internal. We are, are sinners, not because someone else made us do it, but because we chose ourselves. And as we understand that, we need to understand that we are defiled because we are sinners and we need to be cleaned by Jesus. Amen. Jesus is saying, look, you are defiled because of what's inside. Obeying the law, doing a bunch of good stuff, that's not going to fix you. You need a Savior. Jesus is that Savior. He died on the cross. He sacrificed Himself. He took our punishment for on Himself. And He gives us His righteousness if we place our faith and trust in Him. If we rely on Him, if we cry out to Him, if we say, God, I need salvation, I need forgiveness, I need to be made whole, I can't do that, I need you. We all need to be cleaned by someone and we can't do it by ourselves. We need Him. And then as believers, we have to be aware about our hearts and how they lean so we can fight temptation. We have to be wise about how we live our lives. Look, if you struggle with internet pornography, then you might not need to get by the computer by yourself all the time. Maybe you need to put some kind of software on it to keep you from looking at stuff that you don't need to look at. Understand your heart and where it goes. If you are tempted to uh, watch certain movies that pull your affections away from Jesus, then get rid of those channels. If you're tempted to go places and do things that God would not have you to do, then set up roadblocks for yourself so that you don't engage in those things. Understand your heart. Understand your sinfulness. Admit your sinfulness. Admit that you need help. And have people pray for you. Have people hold you accountable. Go to God. Say, God, this is where I struggle. I need you. Set up roadblocks to keep you from doing things. Understand your sinfulness. Understand where you're normally tempted at and find out ways to protect yourself from that. Find out ways to set up those gates and to set up those fences to keep you from doing the things that God does not want you to do. To keep you from doing the things that God has said is sin. The Israelites, especially the Pharisees, had no desire to admit that they were sinners. And so ultimately what that meant is they missed out on God. They didn't want to admit that they needed help. They didn't want to admit that they were bad people who do bad things. They were good people. They only did good things. And they could solve everything themselves. Because of that, they completely missed out on Jesus. We miss out on Jesus when we do the same thing. If you're in this room, if you never placed your faith and trust in Jesus, if you leave here and you say, you know what? I understand that, but I can fix my life myself. I can solve my problems myself then ultimately what you're going to do is you're going to miss out on Jesus. If you're in this room and you do know Jesus, yet you're saying, you know what? I don't have to admit all my sins to God. I don't have to to tell God everywhere that I struggle. I can handle this on my own. I can stop this on my own. You might be His child and you haven't missed out on Him, but you're missing out on His power. You're missing out on His closeness. You're missing out on Him working in your life in a very real and daily way because you're not trusting in Him and relying on Him. Your salvation might be secure, but your relationship is struggling because what we have to do daily is go to God and say, God, I need help. I'm human. I'm weak. I understand that I have desires that I don't want to have. I understand that I react in ways that I don't want to react. And I need you to change me. We have to be willing to go to God, confess our sin, and admit that we need Him for help. Let's pray. 
Father God, we come before you now. Thank you for this time that you've given us. We thank you for your word. God, we thank you for the cleansing power of, of Christ and the cross and what you have done for us and how you have loved us. Father, I pray for everyone in this room. God, we are all sinners. God, I pray for those who have not yet placed their faith and trust in you. God, I pray that this morning that would change. God, I pray this morning that they would have understood that they are a sinner and the only thing that they have that can cleanse them is you. And God, they would place their faith and trust in you. God, I pray for everyone in here who is a believer, who is a child of God. Father God, I pray that you would be reminding us and showing us and convicting us of our sin and that we would understand the importance of walking in a way that glorifies you and that honors you and that we would walk in righteousness, God. If that means we've got to get rid of things, that we would get rid of them. If that means that we've got to tell people our sin so we can have accountability, that we would do whatever we need to do, God, so that we can fight against sin. That we would not be so arrogant to think that we can handle it on our own. But God, we would trust you and depend on you and the people that you have placed around us. God, we love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we do pray. Amen.